The Air by Vita Sackville West. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story One The Air Two. He was alone, they had gone, Stanforth driving off across the park in his rather ostentatious suit of large checks and baggy knickerbockers the two solicitors with their black leather handbags trundling down the avenue in the station cab they had gone they and their talk of mortgages rents acreage tenants possible buyers building lots and sales by auction or private treaty chase stood on the bridge above the moat watching their departure he was still a little confused in his mind, not having had time to turn round and think since Stanforth's telegram had summoned him that morning. Arrived at Black Boys, he had been immediately commandeered by Nutley, had had wishes and opinions put into his mouth, and had found a complete set of intentions ready-made for him to assume as his own. That had all saved him a lot of trouble, undoubtedly, but nevertheless he was glad of a breathing space. There were things he wanted to think over, ideas he wanted to get used to. He was poor, and hard-working in a cheerless fashion. He managed a branch of a small insurance company in Wolverhampton, and expected nothing further of life. Not very robust, his days in an office left him with little energy after he had conscientiously carried out his business. He lived in lodgings in Wolverhampton, smoking rather too much, and eating rather too little he had neither loved nor married. He had always known that some day, when his surviving aunt was dead, he would inherit black boys, but black boys was only a name to him, and he had gauged that the inheritance would mean for him nothing but trouble and interruption, and that once the whole affair was wound up, he would resume his habitual existence just where he had dropped it. His occupations and outlook might thus be comprehensively summarized he turned to look back at the house. Any man brighter-hearted and more optimistic might have rejoiced in this enforced expedition as a holiday, but Chase was neither optimistic nor bright-hearted. He took life with a dreary and rather petulant seriousness, and, full of resentment against this whole unprofitable errand, was dwelling now upon the probable, the almost certain, inefficiencies of his subordinates in Wolverhampton, because he had in him an old maidish trait that could not endure the thought of other people interfering with his business or his possessions. He worried, in his small anemic mind, that was too restricted to be contemptuous, and too diffident to be really bad-tempered. The house looked down at him, grave and mellow. Its facade of old plum-coloured bricks, the inverted V of the two gables, the rectangles of the windows, and the creamy stucco of the little colonnade that joined the two projecting wings, all reflected unbroken in the green stillness of the moat. It was not a large house, it consisted only of the two wings and the central block, but it was complete and perfect, so perfect that Chase, who knew and cared nothing about architecture, and whose mind was really absent, worrying in Wolverhampton, was gradually softened into a comfortable satisfaction. The house was indeed small, sweet, and satisfying. There was no fault to be found with the house. It was lovely in colour and design. It carried off, in its perfect proportions, the grandeur of its manner with an easy dignity. It was quiet, the evening was quiet, the country was quiet. 
It was part of the evening and the country. The country was almost unknown to Chase, whose life had been spent in towns, factory towns. Here he was on the borders of Kent and Sussex, where the nearest town was a village, a jumble of cottages round a green, at his own park gates. The house seemed to lie at the very heart of peace. A little wooden gate, moss-grown and slightly dilapidated, cut off the bridge from the gravelled entrance space. He shut and latched it, and stood on the island that the moat surrounded. Swallows were swooping along the water, for the air was full of insects in the golden haze of the May evening. Faint clouds of haze hung about, blue and gold, deepening the mystery of the park, shrouding the recesses of the garden. The place was veiled. Chase put out his hand as though to push aside a veil. He detected himself in the gesture, and glanced round guiltily to see whether he was observed. But he was alone. Even the curtains behind the windows were drawn. He felt a desire to explore the garden, but hesitated, timorous and apologetic. Hitherto in his life he had explored only other people's gardens on the rare days when they were opened to the public. He remembered with what pained incredulity he had watched the public helping itself to the flowers out of the borders, for he could not help being a great respecter of property. He prided himself, of course, on being a socialist. That was the fashion among the young men he occasionally frequented in Wolverhampton. But unlike them, he was a socialist whose sense of veneration was deeper and more instinctive than his socialism. He had thought at the time that he would be very indignant if he were the owner of the garden. Now that he actually was the owner, he hesitated before entering the garden, with a sense of intrusion. Had he caught sight of a servant, he would certainly have turned and strolled off in the opposite direction. The house lay in the hollow at the bottom of a ridge of wooded hills that sheltered it from the north, but the garden was upon the slope of the hill, in design quite simple. A central walk divided the square garden into halves, eased into very flat, shallow steps, and outlined by a low stone coping. A wall surrounded the whole garden. To reach the garden from the house, you crossed a little footbridge over the moat, at the bottom of the central walk. This simplicity, so obvious, yet, like the house, so satisfying, could not possibly have been otherwise ordered. It was married to the lie of the land. It flattered Chase with the delectable suggestion that he, a simple fellow, could have conceived and carried out the scheme as well as had the architect. He was bound to admit that a simple fellow would not have thought of the peacocks. They were the royal touch that redeemed the gentle friendliness of the house and garden from all danger of complacency. He paused in amazement now at his first real sight of them. All the way up the low stone wall on either side of the central walk they sat, thirty or forty of them, their long tails sweeping down almost to the ground, the delicate crowns upon their heads erect in a feathery line of perspective, and the blue of their breasts rich above the grey stone coping. Halfway up the walk the coping was broken by two big stone balls, and upon one of these a peacock stood with his tail fully spread behind him, and uttered his discordant cry as though in the triumph and pride of his beauty. Chase paused. He was too shy even to disturb those regal birds. He imagined the swirl of colour and the screech of indignation that would accompany his advance, and before their arrogance his timidity was abashed. 
but he stood there for a very long while looking at them until the garden became swathed in the shrouds of the blue evening very dusky and venerable he did not pass over the moat but stood on the little bridge between the house and the garden while those shrouds of evening settled with the hush of vespers round him and as he looked he kept saying to himself mine mine in a puzzled and deprecatory way three when fortune showed him his room before dinner he was silent and inclined to scoff he had been shown the other rooms by nutley when he first arrived and had gazed at them accepting them without surprise much as he would have gazed at rooms in some show-place or princely palace that he had paid a shilling to visit the hall the dining-room the library the long gallery he had looked at them all and had nodded in reply to the solicitor's comments but not for a moment had it entered his head to regard the rooms as his own to be left however in this room that resembled all the others and to be told that it was his bedroom to realize that he was to sleep inside that brocaded four-poster with the ostrich plumes nodding on the top to envisage the trivial and vulgar functions of his daily dressing and undressing as taking place within this room that although so small was yet so stately this was a shock that made him draw in his breath left alone his hand raised to give a tug at his tie he stared round and emitted a soft whistle the walls were hung with tapestry a grey-green landscape of tapestry the borders formed by two fat twisted columns looped across with garlands of flowers and fruits and cherubs with distended cheeks blew zephyrs across this woven arcady high-backed stuart chairs of black and gold chase wanted to take off his boots but did not venture to sit down on this tawny cane-work he moved about gingerly afraid of spoiling something then he remembered that everything was his to spoil if he so chose everything waited on his good pleasure the whole house all those rooms the garden all those unknown farms and acres that nutley and stanforth had discussed the thought produced no exhilaration in him but rather an extreme embarrassment and alarm he was more than ever dismayed to think that someone sooner or later was certain to come to him for orders he hesitated for an appreciable time before making up his mind to go down to dinner in fact even after he had resolutely pushed open his bedroom door he still wavered upon its threshold the landing lit by the yellow flame of a solitary candle stuck into a silver sconce was full of shadows the well of the staircase gaped black and across the great window red velvet curtains had been drawn and now hung from floor to ceiling down the passage behind one of those mysterious closed doors lay the old woman dead in her pompous bed so the house must have drowsed evening after evening before chase ever came near it with the only difference that from one of those doors had emerged an old lady dressed in black silk leaning on a stick an arbitrary old lady who had slowly descended the polished stairs carefully placing the rubber ferrule of her stick from step to step and helping herself on the banisters with the other hand instead of the alien clerk from wolverhampton who hesitated to go downstairs to dinner because he feared there would be a servant in the room to wait upon him there was chase dined miserably and was relieved only when he was left alone 
port and madeira set before him and the four candles reflected in the shining oak table a greyhound which had joined him at the foot of the stairs now sat gravely beside him and he gave him bits of biscuit as he had not dared to do in the presence of the servant more at his ease at last he sat thinking what he would do with the few hundreds a year nutley predicted for him not such an unprofitable business after all perhaps he would be able to move from his lodgings in wolverhampton perhaps he could take a small villa with a little bit of garden in front his imagination did not extend beyond wolverhampton perhaps he could keep back one or two pieces of plate from the sale he would like to have something to remind him of his connection with black boys and with his family he cautiously picked up a porringer that was the only ornament on the table and examined it it gave him a little shock of familiarity to see that the coat of arms engraved on it was the same as the coat on his own signet ring inherited from his father and the motto was the same too antabischantke relicta and the tiny peregrine falcon as the crest absurd to be surprised he ought to remember that he wasn't a stranger here he was chase no less than the old lady had been chase no less than all the portraits upstairs were chase he had already seen that coat of arms to-day in the heraldic window but without taking in its meaning it gave him a new sense of confidence now reassuring him that he wasn't the interloper he felt himself to be it was pleasant enough to linger here with silence and shadows all round the pool of candlelight that lit the polish of the table the curves of the silver and the dark wine in the round-bellied decanters pleasant to dream of that villa which might now be attainable but he had better go or the servant would be coming back to clear away rising he went out into the hall followed by the dog who seemed to have adopted him unquestioningly as chase didn't know his name he bent down to read the inscription on the collar but found only the address chase black boys that had been the old lady's address of course but it would do for him too he needn't have the collar altered chase black boys it was simply handed on no change it gave him a queer sensation this coming to black boys was certainly a queer experience interrupting his life he scarcely knew where he was as yet or what he was doing he had to keep reminding himself with an effort in the hall he hesitated uncertain as to which was the door of the library afraid that if he opened the wrong door he would find himself in the servants quarters perhaps even open it on them as they sat at supper the dog stood in front of one door wagging his tails and looking up at chase so he tried the handle it was the wrong door but instead of leading to the servants quarters it opened straight on to the moonlit garden the greyhound bounded out and ran about in the moonlight a wraith of a dog in the ghostly garden ghostly chase wandered out up the walk to the top of the garden where he turned to look down upon the house folded back in the hollow the moonlight gleaming along the moat and winking on a window not a breath ruffled that milky stillness the great cloths of light lay spread out over the grass the blocks of shadow were profound above the low-lying park trailed a faint white mist and in a vaporous sky the moon rode calm and sovereign chase felt that on a scene so perfectly set something ought to happen a pity that it should all be wasted 
How many such nights must have been wasted! The prodigal loveliness of summer nights, lying illusory under the moon, shamelessly soliciting romance. But nothing happened, there was nothing but Chase looking down on the silent house, looking for a long time down on the silent house, and thinking that, on that night so set for a lover's meeting, no lovers had met. End of story one, sections two and three.